Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Why? Why are we celebrating? First Sunday, 1951, five families met in an upstairs storefront on Facet Street in East Toledo because they said there's too many lost people and not enough churches in Toledo, and Calvary Assembly of God was born, and uh, we are celebrating 70 years this year. That's still our heart that people need to know, the life change that happens through Jesus Christ, and uh, that is going to be at the focus of what we talk about these next couple of weeks, and really at the heart of who we are. In fact, today I want to kind of do something fairly simple and just talk about what our foundation is See, in this series, we are talking about our foundations, how we build for the future on the legacy of the past. And the Bible makes it very clear that the foundation we build on, the thing that our lives are established on, the thing that's going to last is Jesus Christ is our firm foundation. True? He is the one that we build our lives on. He is the center and the focus of our lives. And anything else just will not do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So although we're thankful for our heritage, and although we're thankful for the things that God has done and the ways that he's blessed us, the reality is the foundation of our church And the foundation for each of our lives needs to be in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Calvary is a part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. So if you're maybe new to Calvary or didn't know that, that's sometimes people use the word denomination. That's the group of churches that we belong to. And you might go, I didn't didn't know that. A lot of times people think that maybe we're a non-denominational church. And there's a lot of great churches that don't have any kind of larger affiliation. We call them non-denominational churches. And sometimes people go, well, why why is Calvary a part of the Assemblies of God? I'll give you just three quick reasons why that's important for us as a church. One is accountability. So like for me, for our pastoral team, we have our credentials through the Assemblies of God. So that organization kind of is the overarching organization that not only kind of uh, oversees the credentialing in, in our lives, but it serves as a source of accountability. And I don't know about you, but I like that. Like I'm, I'm thankful for that. The second reason why I'm, I'm, I'm thankful we're a part of the Assemblies of God is in missions, right? So we believe that Jesus told us we're to go into the whole world and take the gospel, but we can't do that by ourselves. So in partnering with the Assemblies of God, there are literally thousands of missionaries around the world that we have the opportunity to partner with in finances and prayer and mission and trips and all kinds of different things, and we can do more together than we could on our own. True? So a third reason, and one that I'm really thankful for, is a doctrinal reason. That together, as a group of churches, we come together and say, this is what we believe doctrinally. Whether that be about current issues and things that are happening in our culture, or the things that we teach and believe from Scripture, I'm thankful to be a part of an organization where we have a doctrinal um, understanding and agreement on what we believe. And every so often, somebody will say to me, oh, hey, we like, we like Calvary, we love coming to this church. And I'll be like, well, you know, just, I'm just curious, do you, do you believe the same things that we believe as a church? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. And I'll be like, well, have you, have you looked into it all? No, I haven't looked into it, I just like you. Well, that's, that's nice. Like, that's nice. That's cool. I'm glad somebody does. Like, that's, that's cool. But you actually should look into what we believe to know that, hey, these are the things that, that I believe as well. So if you're curious about that, if you've never really looked, you can go out to ag.org, assemblies.org. You can find what we believe there. Um, if you come to some of like our Calvary 101 classes, we, we kind of introduce some of these things and an opportunity to learn what we believe as a church. And, and you'll see, for us as a fellowship, we kind of organize our thoughts in what we call 16 fundamental truths. We, we take the different teachings of Scripture and just kind of put them in 16 different little compartments that help us. There's four of them that we refer to as cardinal doctrines, like, like things that are kind of of first importance, and all of them have to do with Jesus and who he is and what he does. And so oftentimes, when we talk about Jesus, we refer to him as our Savior, our Healer, our baptizer, and our coming king. That Jesus is our savior, our healer, our baptizer, and our coming king. Why does this matter? Because sometimes when we talk about doctrine, excuse me, 
Um, we get a little bit bored by theology. And we kind of go, ah, I don't know, that doesn't really matter. I just kind of want to know, how, how do I live my life? Well, the reality is how you believe affects how you live, doesn't it? The things that you think, the, the, the truths that you hold to, will become the things that motivate your decisions, your attitudes, how you live your life in the church, outside the church, in your family. So these things are important. How you believe affects how you will live. So here's what I want to do today, if that's okay with you. Can we just talk about Jesus for a little while today? And we're going to take a look at him because he's the firm foundation that our church is built on. Jesus Christ is our firm foundation in our lives. And so what I want to do for these next few moments is look at those four titles we just looked at for who Jesus is. And I'm going to, I'm going to if it's okay, I want to give you a lot of scripture today. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. For some of us that are familiar with these scriptures, it helps us to, to connect them to the things that we believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as a part of this church, if you're not familiar with these scriptures, these are some of the significant scriptures that what we believe are built upon. They're the scriptural foundations for who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. So I'd encourage you, maybe you might want to write down, make a note of some of these different things, look at them as we go through. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ, our firm foundation, and here's number one, Jesus is the Savior. Number one, Jesus is is the Savior. Why do we use that term, Savior? Well, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In the New Testament, if you remember, and we're coming up on Christmas, so this is a good kind of teaser. Do you remember when the angel comes to Joseph and says, you will name him Jesus because he will, anybody? <laughs> Save his people from their sins. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has, look at this, destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is a powerful scripture. It's filled with theology. And what it says to us is Jesus made everything different because of what he did for us when he died on the cross. Like we're, we're most likely familiar with the story of how Jesus lived a life without any sin. And then he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, for my sins, and when he did, he paid the price for you so that you could have forgiveness. But he didn't just leave it there. On the third day, he rose again, and he conquered death, and he changed everything. I love this line here, who has destroyed death. Sounds like a video game, doesn't it? Like an action-adventure flick. Because what Jesus did is Jesus brings you life. He conquered death. He made everything different. And Jesus brings you life. If you're here today and you, you feel empty, if you're here today and you're saying, well, something's just missing in my, in my life, know that Jesus can bring it. And this is what we mean when we say that he's the savior, because what he does is he saves us, he rescues us. I mean, and the reality is we like that language, destroyed death, because we like someone who comes in and saves the day, don't we? Think about the books we read, the shows we watch, the movies that we enjoy, so many times they have someone, often through sacrifice, who comes and saves the day. Like think, think some of the heroes. We got Luke Skywalker, you got James Bond, like every Marvel character. Let's be honest, Andre the Giant and the Princess Bride. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? What are we looking for? We're looking for somebody who's gonna come in and save the day. Why? Because in our hearts of hearts, I think for every one of us, we know that's what we need. What we need is a savior. Why? What good does it do? Well, let's go back to what Paul wrote. Now in the book of Titus, right? He's writing to Titus, who pastors a church on the island of Crete. He's, a, he's an apprentice of Paul's. And he says this in Titus chapter three, verse three. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. There's a fine how do you do, isn't it? He says, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's what we used to be. But, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us 
through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Here's what he shows us here. He says, look, you used to be this, but now you're that. It used to be like this, but now it's like this. See, your life was a mess, but when Jesus came in, he saved you, not because anything you did, but because of what he did, here's what he wants you to see. Jesus changes your life. He makes you new. The old is gone. The new has come. He brings this change to our hearts. And those of us who have known it say, I'm so thankful for it. Amen? And those of us who hear that and go, I need that, it means that we're either at a point where it's time to say, Jesus, I need you to do something new in my heart, or maybe for the very first time, to say, Jesus, I need you to be my savior. This verse tells me that I am not what I used to be, and I'm not what I should be. Anybody here not what you used to be? I can tell you without Jesus, I'm a mess. And I'm not what I should be either, because what I should be is in a, in a bigger mess, but God's given me grace, and he's given me mercy. And so I'm not what I would be at my own devices, what I should be, and I'm not what I used to be. Jesus changes my life. He makes a difference. And if you need that in your life, can I tell you, there is no better time than right now, than today, even before we move on with this service any further, for you to just say in your heart, Jesus, I need you to do something new. Like, I can't do this on my own anymore. Sometimes I think we just need a Deep breath and a wake-up call. It says, Lord, you're the only one who has what I need, and I need you to be my Savior. Now, let me take this one more step, because it's risky. A 70-year-old church can start to just kind of settle back. The reality is, if Jesus is my Savior, then I should live like he is. If Jesus is my Savior, the people around me should see it. <laughs> If Jesus is my Savior, then it should be known by those who interact with me. If Jesus is my Savior, and I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I should be, I'm instead what he has made me, shouldn't others be able to notice that in my life? If Jesus is really my Savior. I've shared a little bit <clears throat> about the trip that Rhonda and I took uh, back in September to go visit our son who lives overseas. and um, Not only was it a really cool trip, but it... it, it paid off in a ton of sermon illustrations, so you're welcome. And um, <clears throat> we were in the airport in Istanbul, Turkey, and what should have been a 20-hour trip for us to get where we were going actually took 60 hours, so that was a lot of fun. And so we're kind of stuck in this airport, Istanbul, we've never been there, huge, massive kind of state-of-the-art airport. I was, I was shocked by how big it was, and we're tired. We have already had kind of this crazy nightmare kind of scenario with some of our trips and we're walking in and all of a sudden I felt led of the spirit I don't know what spirit it was I'm not sure it was the Holy Spirit I just know I turned and there was a shake shack and I felt it in my spirit <clears throat> I was drawn to that place of blessing can I get an amen you had me at shake there's burgers too like this is awesome so we go over we're, we're hungry we go over we place our order you know, and so it, you've been to these places where it's like a two-part deal, right? So first you walk over to the window and you order, which is a little tricky because you got all the plexiglass, all the noise. People on the other side of the counter really don't speak English that well. I don't really speak English that well. So we're like, we're, we're having a hard time communicating. So you get your order placed and then they give you one of those little buzzers. Do you know what I mean? Those little pagers that when, you're, when it's your turn, zzz, you know, you get it. So I take it and then you have to go over to the pickup window, second window. Order window, pickup window. So I'm standing over the pickup window. Rhonda goes over to kind of make sure we got a table because the place is pretty full. And I'm kind of standing there and just praying, Lord, I know you love me. Just let this shake. Lord, I know you care for me. You know, like you're just, I'm ready. I'm hungry. All of a sudden you get, and I'm like, oh, rejoice for the steps. You know, I'm kind of excited. So I go walking over, give my buzzer, get my food. And I go back to the table. Like we get over and we're all set to eat. And I realize we don't have like any ketchup or salt but we have fries and I don't want to sin, right? So I need, to, I need to do something. So I go back over to the window. I'm on my way over to the pickup window to get the little extra stuff. And there's this young lady standing there, probably in her 20s, who's just kind of looking around. 
Do you know what it's like when you see somebody who's lost? Like they just have that kind of look on their face like they're trying to figure stuff out. And I, I feel bad for her. And I'm like, hey, can I, can I help you? And she's like, I want some of that food. <laughs> I was like, I bet you do because I just got some. It looks good. And I was like, okay. And she's like, she's like, so I'm just waiting here for some of that food. And I'm like, well, did you, did you place an order? And she goes, no, that's why I'm standing here. And I'm like, well, you're, you're standing at the pickup window. Like, you can't get the food here. You have to go over to that window. Well, at that moment, no one was standing at the order window. So she says, I don't trust this man I don't know because he's telling me that I have to go over to the window where nobody is. I want to be at the window where everybody is because I want what everybody's getting. So she's just standing there. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you got to go over there and order. And she's like, okay, yeah, okay, good. You know, so I'm like, all right, good. So I go and I get my stuff, wait a couple minutes to get my stuff. I turn and she's still standing there doing this. And I said, hey, did you, did you have a chance to place your order? Because I'm like, I'm hungry. She's got to be hungry. I want to help her. And she's like, she's like no, I'm, I'm waiting here. And I'm like, but you won't get anything here. I'm like, you got to go over to the pickup window here. I says, look, do you see all the people that have the little, little buzzers? And she's like, yeah. I says, that's because they already placed their order over there. You want what's coming out of here. But you can't have the blessings that flow out of here, sister. <laughs> Unless first you go over there. And she was like, oh, light bulb kind of came on. I walked her over, you know, she went up and placed her order and I went back and I was like, I'm a Shake Shack evangelist. Like that was kind of like, you know. But in that moment, I felt this little like whisper in my spirit. How often is that people's story? That they see something they want, oftentimes in your life, that's peaceful, that's joyful, that's purposeful, where your life has meaning, where even in some of the toughest moments of your life, you, you have a confidence because you know who your savior is. So people oftentimes will look for that, but they never really get to the source of where they can find it. Does that make sense? Because until you're willing to get over to the source and surrender yourself enough to say, I can't do this on my own. I need the blessings that are over there, and you're the only one who can give it to me. Then that person on the other side of that counter becomes your Savior, do they not? And I realized that unless someone will come to the Savior, they're not going to get those blessings. But I know that for many people, well, for, for most people, for, for me, for you, someone had to bring you to the Savior, did they not? And introduce you to who he was. So how many times are there people in our lives who are over here just wanting what only Jesus can bring, but they may never find it unless you're willing to go out of your way and take them right to him? Look, if Jesus is your savior, then live like it. Let people know. Let them see that in your life and introduce them to who he is. Here's the thing, church, I hope people will see. Someone who has hope lives differently than someone who is hopeless. True? So let us be a church that's filled with hope because we know that Jesus is not just the Savior. <laughs> He's our Savior. That's the first thing. Number two, let me tell you something else about Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the baptizer. Number two, Jesus is the baptizer. Now, oftentimes when we say baptism or baptizer, we think water, right? And, and rightfully so. And that's what we've been talking about. Again, said it a couple times, but if you've not been baptized in water, I hope you'll take that step, especially I hope you'll join us at that service in December. And again, you can sign up online. It's going to be a cool Sunday, great day to invite your family to be here. But when we say Jesus is the baptizer, we're not talking about water. We're saying that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Scripture says he's the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a unique concept. So can we do this? Can we go on a quick little scriptural journey? Will you go with me? Like Auditorium 2 online? We're, we're going to take this quick little scriptural journey because I want to give you a little background about why we use this term that Jesus is the baptizer. And Three, four of you said you were ready. Anybody else? Are you, are you good? Are we okay? Okay, okay. so let's do this. Acts chapter 1. This is in this little time, Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead, but he has not yet ascended to heaven. So somewhere in that like 40-day period in between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And on one occasion, while he was eating at Shake Shack with, I mean, while he was eating with them, 
Aren't you glad the Bible says we should eat? He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard, remember that, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, look, there's a gift that's coming to you. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You heard me tell you about this. When? When did he tell them about this? We'll go back to John chapter 16. This is a couple weeks before. This is the night before his crucifixion. They're in the upper room, last supper, and Jesus says, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away... The advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, good news, I'm leaving, because <laughs> then I can send you the advocate. Well, who's the advocate? Well, rewind it a chapter to John chapter 15, verse 26. And Jesus had already told them, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father he will testify about me. So Jesus says, I'm going to send this advocate to you. He is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of God. He's the Holy Spirit. And this spirit is going to come. Jesus even said that the Holy Spirit is a spirit just like him. So like this is the spirit of Jesus who is going to come and he is going to be with you. He's referred to as a counselor, as a comforter. He is referred to as the spirit of truth. So he is the source of wisdom and discernment in our lives. He's the one who comes alongside to help us. And Jesus says, good news, I am going to send this spirit to you. And in Acts chapter 1, while he's having lunch with the disciples, he says to them, that gift, I'm going to bring it to you. So later in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, this, this crazy thing happens. Doesn't happen anymore, fortunately. But the disciples are sitting around, and they're trying to figure out when the end times will be. Like, they're trying to put this puzzle together. They're trying to figure out, wonder, wonder when the end of the world is going to be. Wonder how it's all going to work out. Wonder what the clues are. Wonder how crazy it's going to be. Like, they're asking all these questions. Aren't you glad people don't do that anymore? And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is this it? Is this the end? Have we put the puzzle together, Jesus? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Guys, you're, you're stressing out over some things that nobody ever asked you to. But can I tell you what you should stress out over? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, look, it's, it's good that you're looking for when the end's going to be. And I'm so glad you care. And Bible prophecy matters. But can I tell you what really matters is when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. And that power is so that you can be my witness and do everything that I've called you to do. So the baptizer says to them, do you remember the spirit I told you about? The one who's going to be your comforter, your counselor, your strength, the source of wisdom, the source of truth. The one who's going to come alongside of you in the best and worst days of your life. Well, I'm going to be the one who is going to baptize you with him. And when I do, you will have the power to do everything that God has called and created you to do. When I hear that, you know what I say? We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need him at work in our lives. The spirit of Jesus that comes and strengthens and empower us. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding more and more and more in the world that I live in, the world that you live in, I need wisdom. And I need strength. And I need counsel. And I need comfort. And I need power. And I need someone who's going to come alongside of me. I need a spirit of truth. And Jesus told us in Acts 1.8 that when the Spirit comes on you, you will have the power to do everything that he called and created you to do. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And oftentimes I think I can do it on my own. But out of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4.6 echoes this promise, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
So if Jesus is the baptizer, then we should live a spirit-filled life. A life where the Holy Spirit has license to work in our lives, to do what he wants to do, to guide us, direct us, and strengthen us, and change us. I've heard people share this before, but I heard it again just this week. This, This lady, I'd never met her before. We're having this conversation, and she starts talking about who she used to be, how angry she was. She says, you should ask my kids. And then I was filled with the Holy Spirit, she said. Then I had an encounter where Jesus changed me, and I am a different person today than I was then. The Holy Spirit can bring you deliverance. The Holy Spirit can bring you power. The Holy Spirit can bring you life. And my challenge to you, if you are in a place where this kind of resonates with you, ask Jesus to fill you with his Holy Spirit. The next time that you feel weary and powerless, go to the one who said, if you are weary and heavy laden, to come to him and he will give you rest. And say, Jesus, I need your Holy Spirit. The next time you need wisdom or discernment, you need clarity about what to do, start by going to the Holy Spirit. The next time that you look in the mirror and say, I need to be more like Jesus. Anybody had that happen? What time is it? (laughs) Um... As of this morning, Lord, I need to be more like Jesus. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Because Jesus is our Savior, and Jesus is our baptizer. And number three, Jesus is the coming King. Number three, Jesus is the coming King. And we, we read about this throughout Scripture. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul's writing again to his friend Titus and says, While we wait for the blessed hope, I love that term, the blessed hope. What is it? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is talking about. Jesus is coming again. Do we believe that? Look, Jesus is coming again. Let me give you some more details about what we mean when we say Jesus is coming. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once. This is, this is key, right? We live, and then we're all destined to die. And Christ came once and was sacrificed to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. Look, he's, he's coming again, not to bear sin, because he already did that. When he died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins and mine, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again for those of us who are waiting for him. And that's good news, isn't it? This is key for us. And it's helpful for us to recognize, we know this, like, like we live in a society of waiting and expectation. In many ways, our, our, our expectation for the things we wait for has actually increased. Because now, when I need something, I can just pull out my phone it used to be that I'd have to write it down on a piece of paper and make a list and go to the, the store. Now, I just pull my phone out, place a little order, and it shows up on my porch the next day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? We're kind of living in that society. If I'm hungry, I look outside, and it's like, well, it's dark, it's late, it's cold, it's raining, it's whatever. I don't want to go outside. I can pull out my phone, and I can, with a couple, boop, 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 just a couple little, you know, phone call or use, use an app or something. And next thing you know, they bring the food to you. Like, they dash to your door and bring the grub to your hub. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> like, that's the world we live in. So we have, we have learned that there are things that we expect and then we wait for. We don't like to wait very long, do we? Half an hour for food, no more than 24 hours for whatever I could have just run to the store and got. <laughs> but we have this idea. However, in that culture, I think in many ways we've lost our ability to remember that we're waiting for Jesus, that he's coming again. Look, if Jesus is coming again, then we should encourage each other with that. It should be a part of what we talk about, a part of who we are, a part of what we look forward to. Look, I, I want to take a couple of moments and look at another long passage of scripture, if that's okay. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about this idea of Jesus coming again, we don't fully understand it all. Maybe we've seen it in movies or TV, and maybe it's just kind of freaked us out. Maybe what we've learned has been more from fear tactics than good biblical instruction. 
Or maybe you just, this is kind of a new idea for you, and you're like, that's weird. Here's what Scripture says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Paul is writing to a group of people in a church who were kind of unsure about this whole second coming thing, and they really didn't know, what about the people we love who have died, who are asleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope? We have a blessed hope, right? So he's going to unpack it for them. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep is not a reference to many of you in this service. That's a reference, <laughs> that's a reference to people who have died, right? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Isn't that wild? The dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is what we often refer to as the rapture. So that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and the trumpet is going to sound. And the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ will rise first. Anybody else kind of want to be in a cemetery when that happens? How wild is that going to be? Eject buttons, just all, right? Like reverse whack-a-mole. How crazy is that going to be? And then the rest of us, I might have been sacred, I'm not sure. The, the, uh, the rest of us will meet him in the air and we'll be changed forever. Like Paul's giving you good news here. Writing to people in a tough time with lots of questions who are uncertain about life. And then he says, therefore, terrify one another with these words, doesn't he? Therefore, frighten each other with these things. Therefore, freak out when you read this. He says, therefore, write books and make movies and lots of money with this story. Is that what he says? No, what does he say? He says, therefore, and sometimes I think this is the one thing we don't do. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming again. And we have this as a hope. And I don't know what you're facing today, but tomorrow's going to be better. Because we have a promise that someday all the things that are broken here are going to be fixed forever. So we are encouraged because Jesus is coming again. When we say he's our coming king, we don't just say that because it's some theological concept we can't grasp. The authors of the New Testament say it over and over again because they're saying, I know you're struggling today, but hang on there because Jesus is coming. And it can sound cliche, but the reality is we can let life start to get us down. And for many of us, we, we struggle. We face difficult times. You ever seen things happening in the world and you go, this just isn't fair. Because I'm the one who's following Jesus, and it seems like everything's going right for everybody else. And we can get really frustrated when we look at that. Okay, how about a quick language lesson? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. This is in the, in the King James Version. And I don't know why the King James did this, but it's helpful. It says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Is that an insurance company? Anathema? I don't think so. No, it's a Greek word. Maranatha. So for some reason, instead of translating it, the King James Version gives us these two Greek words right, right in their original. Anathema means be cursed. Maranatha means come Lord Jesus. So that's why when we read it in many other Bible versions, like the NIV, it says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come Lord. Now this sounds really harsh, but I think Paul's writing to a group of believers in a difficult time, and he says, look, when you watch people who don't love the Lord, understand that at the end, there's a curse that comes there. Like He's not being mean-spirited. He's trying to encourage them and saying, look, don't let life get you down. Don't let these difficulties discourage you. When you are frustrated and you are upset, you take a moment to realize what the end is, and then just say, come, Lord, Maranatha. I know this is broken right now, but I can't wait for the day that you're going to fix it forever. 
And because I know you will fix it, then it helps me as I wait. It helps me to trust you. Any, anybody been any place lately, store, restaurant, hospital, somewhere like that, where they had an employee shortage? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, you have too? It seems to be kind of common. And so where I am used to a quick turnaround on things, I'm now having to wait. How many of you just love to wait? Especially you do not. You do not. And we're in that spot, and it's tough. And what I've watched some people do in some of these places, the customers, is get downright rude. Like, I know you're frustrated, and I know you hope that your 10-minute wait wouldn't be 45 minutes, but have you seen what these people are dealing with? Have you seen how short-staffed they are? Have you seen how difficult this is? Like, you can see it in people's eyes and something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they're like, we're doing the very best we can, but this is the best we can do. Because stuff's broken right now. And until it gets fixed, it's going to kind of be like this. Now, I can get frustrated, and I can get upset. But when I realize that I'm dealing with a broken system, it helps me to go, I'll wait. It might take a little longer. It might be uncomfortable. I don't like this. But I have peace when I know that I'm waiting for something. You know we live in a broken world, not just because of a shortage of employees, but because of sin. And so the world will be broken, and there will be sickness, and there will be frustrations, and there will be difficulties, and there will be things that we'll watch in governments, and in workplaces, and in families that will frustrate us because we live in a broken world, but in the midst of that, you and I have the promise of a coming king. Instead of being victims and frustrated and rude and difficult, what if instead we said, Maranatha, <laughs> Lord, because I know that whatever I hope I put here right now, my real blessed hope is in you, and I'm waiting for you to come. And if the world saw a church who loved Jesus enough to say, we can get through these tough times because we know what we're waiting for, couldn't that change the world? Look, the foundation of our faith is in Jesus, our Savior, and our baptizer, our coming king. And let me give you one more. Number four, Jesus is the healer. Number four, Jesus is the healer. What do we mean? First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is in quotes because it comes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So both the New Testament and the Old Testament tell us that because of Jesus' death for us, by his wounds, you have been healed. Psalm 103 says that he not only forgives all our sins, but he heals all our diseases. The book of Acts tells us that everywhere Jesus went, he went around doing good and healing those who were sick. You realize Jesus was the healer and that Jesus is the healer. Jesus' death on the cross brings healing to humanity. A few months back, the, the end of August, in, in our One Small Step series, we, we took some time to take a look at this idea of healing, physical healing. So I'm not going to unpack it now. You can jump online and catch that if you have some questions. But can I tell you, he doesn't just heal our bodies. He can heal your mind. He can heal your past. He can heal your trauma. He can heal your attitudes. He can heal your spirit. Jesus came to heal us. That's what he is. That's who he is. And maybe today you're here and you're in a place where in your physical body, or maybe in your emotions, maybe in your, your memories, in your past, in your heart, what you truly need is something that you can't do on your own and you need a healing. In just a few moments when we come to the Lord's table, when we share in communion together, I want, I want to hope that you'll be willing to say, Jesus, will you be my healer? Will you do something in my life? And I want to leave you just with, with one quick thought, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. If Jesus is the healer, then those of us who are healed should bring healing to others. Yes. 70 years into this thing, as a church, I don't want us to ever forget that we are agents of healing. Like people that interact with us should be better because Jesus has worked through us. 
that they find in a relationship with Jesus and sometimes the one that you're going to walk them up to the order window so that they can ask him for it, it brings great healing to their life. Let's put this all together in one story about Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Real quick, let's, let's read this. It says, Some men came, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man, carried by four of them, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So there's this huge crowd around Jesus. You got these guys. They've got their buddy. Let's, uh, let's, let's call him Charlie. Is that all right? It's not a Greek name. It's not a biblical name. We'll just call him that. And they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat to the man and lowered the mat the man was lying on. So you, you may know the story. These guys go up. They, they had like flat thatched roofs in Galilee in that time. And so these guys go up on this roof. They bring Charlie with them. Then they dig a hole in the roof. You would love that, wouldn't you? If somebody did that to your house. They dig a hole in the roof and then somehow... They lowered Charlie down right in front of Jesus. Next, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the guys on the roof were like, time out. That's not what we ordered. This isn't a forgiveness call. He needs to walk. Right? Could you imagine? They're like, that's not what we did. This, we got to fix this roof now for nothing. Charlie's just down there. Right? Can you imagine that thought probably went through their minds? They're not the only ones thinking something. Look at verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So you got this tension here, right? Where Jesus says, basically, I'm the Savior. And they're like, how can you be? And the guys up there are going, not what we ordered. Immediately. Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. I love that because it reminds us that in moments when we need discernment, the spirit of Jesus, remember he baptizes you in that spirit, can come and bring you discernment. He he says he knew what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see what's wrapped up in this story? Jesus, the Savior, knows exactly what this man needs. So he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, the baptizer, has the Holy Spirit at work through this story, empowering and helping him. And Jesus, the coming king, sees the kingdom that he's bringing, and he brings a little bit of it into this broken world right here. And Jesus, the healer, heals this man and gives him just what he needs. And in just a moment, as we come to the Lord's table, Jesus, the Savior, the healer, the baptizer, and the coming king is right here in this room. He's right there with you in auditorium too. He's right wherever you're watching this on television or watching this online or listening to this podcast. I'm telling you, the spirit of Jesus is there. And whatever you are carrying and bringing to him right now, he can be the foundation of your life. Here's how the story ends, verse 13. It says, the man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. Wouldn't it be awesome if this church went out into our world and people saw Jesus in our lives, and they said, we have never seen anything like this. What if the next 70 years should the Lord Terry of Calvary Church shadow what God has done in the last 70, and people look at the history of this church and go, we've just never seen anything like this. What if your neighbors and your friends see Jesus at work in your life and say, I'll order that. I need some of that. Because we've never seen anything like this. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And we're going to come to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So why don't we pause for a moment and examine our own hearts. And it may be today what you need is salvation. You need your sins forgiven. You need someone who can come and do what you can't do for yourself. And there's no better time than right now to say, Jesus, I need you to be my savior. Maybe today you are weary, you're tired, you're uncertain about some things. There's no better time than right now in this moment to say, Jesus, would you fill me, baptize her with your Holy Spirit? Maybe today you've been so frustrated with the world around you that what you needed to hear was an encouragement that says Jesus is coming again. And I know it might not fix today, but it's the promise of forever that Jesus is coming again. And maybe you need healing. Maybe you only know in what way. But as we come to the Lord's table, that you would say to him, Jesus, would you be my healer? Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So can I invite you, uh, if you're here in the building with us, to peel back kind of that first layer on the communion containers, that clear layer. And as you hold the bread in your hands, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And Jesus, thank you that you died to be our Savior. Lord, may we remember and not take for granted your sacrifice. Because of what you did for us, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because of your grace and mercy, we can know forgiveness. We can know grace. And we thank you for that today as we share in the bread together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this cup. It symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your shed blood, we have a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your shed blood, we have a healer. And thank you, Jesus, that because of your shed blood, when we, when we share in this cup together, we are reminded that you are coming again. And so we thank you for that today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's share in the cup together. Can I ask you to stand with me, if you would, please? And the team's going to come, and we're going to take a moment before we wrap up this service and thank Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Jesus, thank you. We praise your name today that you are our savior, our healer, our baptizer, our coming king. And we give you praise and honor today in Jesus' name. Amen.
King, and that they couldn't help but say, we have never seen anything like this. God, thanks for what you've done in our lives today. Thanks for what you've done in and through this church. Father, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving.